Good morning. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, please. Mark chapter 4. So, I'm, I'm sorry to all of you, but you've got me today and next Sunday. Alright, we got a little two-week series here. A little two-week series. I'm not sure how much voice I'll have left next week when I'm here, but... Uh, Lord willing, it's never good when you say, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do these two weeks, because probably next week I'll have something completely different in mind. But um, what we want to do is, like, if we can, this week uh, we're going to look at the Savior in the ship, and next week we're going to look at the Savior outside the ship. Okay? So this week is the Savior in the ship, and next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the Savior outside uh, the ship. Okay? Our text this morning is Mark chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Now on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, And other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Uh, Let's just open in prayer. God, you are a great God, and we thank you that all the fullness of that Godhead dwelt in the body of our Lord Jesus. We're so grateful for uh, the many ways that he demonstrated uh, that he was the Son of God while here on this earth. We're so grateful um, that uh, this morning we have a tremendous privilege, a tremendous gift in that of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of our hearts who have trusted in your Son as their Savior. And we're thankful for how the Holy Spirit can illuminate truths into our hearts and to our minds. And so I would ask this morning that I would be led and controlled and empowered by your Holy Spirit. And uh, that all of us who have ears to hear, that you would allow us to, to hear what it is that you have us to to learn um, uh, this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This account here in Mark, it's actually recorded in uh, Luke chapter 8 and in Matthew chapter 8 as well. Uh, Three accounts of this story here, uh, of these men getting into the boat. Uh, A storm like this uh, would not be uncommon. On this lake, this lake is a heart-shaped lake. 
and it's inside this canyon, and so it was known for storms just picking up like that, great uh, tumultuous storms that would come through, um, and so it was something that was not uncommon. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting about all these accounts is in every single one of them, because you're going to find that uh, some of the things that are translated according to Luke or according to Matthew or according to Mark are a little different from each other, but one that's the same for all of them is their response. Every single one of them, and I'm reading from the New King James Version here, and we just read this, after the Lord Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and then rebukes them, right? Um, they say, who can this be? I think it's a great question for all of us to ask ourselves. Um, in fact, there was probably a moment in each of our lives where uh, before we even came to know him in a personal way, it was, we might have said, well, who, who can this be? In the King James Version, some of your Bibles may say, what manner of man is this? <laughs> what manner of man is this? But literally, we could read it this way. What sort of man is this? <laughs> And that's what I'd like us to explore this morning, based on this account, is I want you to just have in the forefront of your mind this morning, when we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, I would like you to ask yourselves this morning, what sort of man is this? <laughs> what sort of man is this? And then hopefully, um, by the help, as we said, of the Holy Spirit, you're going to see that uh, the disciples' comments in each of these accounts, they differ a little based on who's telling it, whether it's Luke or Matthew or Mark. But I want to look at each of those and hopefully through looking at the disciples' comments in this account, in each of these accounts, it'll help us answer the question, what sort of man is this? What sort of man is this, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ? And so the first one I want to look at is here actually in Mark. Um, Jesus is uh, sleeping uh, in the stern of the boat. It says on a pillow. And so uh, it probably would not be like a pillow that you think of, that you sleep on. Uh, most likely, it could have been that he was in a hammock of some kind in the stern of the boat. Or it would have been a large thing that it was on the stern of the boat that you could just lay right on and go to sleep. And Jesus is, is asleep there. And the storm comes up, uh, quite a storm. Because like I said, these, these men certainly are familiar with these kinds of storms and their occupation. But this one here, uh, it says that um, it was a great windstorm. It says that the waves beat uh, into the boat and that it was already uh, filling. Anytime you are uh, in a boat uh, where there is great wind and the waves are beating against the boat um, is pretty scary. Um, I myself have been on the boats like this. But when the water starts coming in the boat, that's when it gets a little more uh, scary. Uh, as long as the water doesn't come in the boat, you're fine. But here it seems as if the water is already starting to fill uh, the boat. And so these men here, um, they're scared. right? But notice their question to the Lord Jesus. In verse 38, it says, And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care 
that we are perishing. This actual um, phrase here was what got me into studying this and looking at this over the last you know, several months or so is um, just this phrase right here. I would imagine, I could be wrong, that these have to be some of the most painful words that God has ever had to hear. That these men would wake him up and say, Teacher, do you not care? In fact, there's only two places that's recorded here and also in Luke chapter 10 where someone would ask Jesus, do you not care? Do you not care? We were uh, on a lake house just a couple weeks ago and at this lake house, there's a little shed down at the, the waterfront and inside that shed was all kinds of pool toys and, or lake toys, I should say. Uh, but there was also some badminton rackets and some birdies. And um, one particular day, my children went in there, grabbed the, the rackets, went over to the yard, and were hitting the, uh, the birdie cocks, or whatever they're called, back and forth to each other. And so they were playing for maybe a minute or two. And I never realized that Karen, uh, my four-year-old, had followed them into there after they had left, was in there for a little while, <laughs> And she came out of the shed, stood right in front of me, looking towards the kids who were playing. She had her hands in her head, and she goes, so you guys are okay that I'm not playing? I thought, man, what a response. Uh, to that. You, you guys are okay with that, huh? And, and if I could, it's almost as if like disciples perhaps could have had the same attitude. Do you, do you not care? You're sleeping in the boat? Do you don't care that we're dying? That we're going to perish? You know, you're okay with that? I don't know if there could be anything more painful than those words to God's ears. You see, during the storms of life, right, man's response has always been to question whether God cares for them. You go through the entire Bible, right? Look at God's people. The nation of Israel, right? God delivers them out of Egypt, brings them to the shore of the Red Sea. Within moments, as the Egyptians are now pursuing them, God, what? What, you brought us out here to perish out here? It would be better for us to just die back in Egypt. In other words, don't you care? Right? God delivers them through the Red Sea. They travel in the wilderness. Their shoes never wear out. Of all the days and years walking in the desert, shoes are perfectly fine. But one day, oh man, there's, there's nothing to eat out here. Man, we go back to Egypt with the, uh, the garlic and the leeks and the good food there. God, don't you, don't you care? All right, I'll give you manna. Manna from heaven. After a while, man, oh, this manna's getting old. God, don't you care? All right, I'll give you quail. God, we're so thirsty. Don't you care? Okay, I'll give you water. On and on and on. No matter how many times God showed that he cared about them, they questioned the care of God. Don't people today do that too? Right, it's so easy, right? It's so easy when life is good 
to thank God. Oh, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for how much you care about us. But as soon as those storms in life come, our tendency is to, and we may not use the exact words, but our hearts are, don't you care about me? In fact, I dare to say maybe sometimes we may tell God, you don't care. Clearly, God, if you see what I'm going through right now, you do not care about me. There are a lot of storms that people go through. Um, Death. Death is a difficult thing to go through. Um, Loved ones. um, Children. um, People who have to go through perhaps not the death of their children, but Um, maybe they have children who are prodigals. Um, Perhaps there are those who um, have a difficult marriage right now. Every day is a struggle. Maybe there's those who are working for an employer who is just ruthless. Every day is a chore to get to that job because this person just makes it unbearable. Maybe there's a sickness that you're dealing with that really nobody else knows about, but every day it's there and you deal with it. Maybe it's mental illness or depression. There are storms that people are going through. And our condition, our fallen condition, right? Because of our nature, our tendency is to say, God, you don't care. Clearly, you do not care about me if I've got to go through this. And sometimes it's not even just those things that we've been dealing with for so long. Sometimes it's when those things happen, they, and they happen back to back to back, right? Like you, you, you experience some kind of storm in your life, this trial that as you go through it, you say, Lord, I understand why I had this. You know what? I learned what you wanted me to learn. And then, boom, another one. And you're thinking, God, I thought I already learned that. I, I told you I'm good. I got that. I learned that one. And boom, another one. You're like, okay, God, what's going on? Don't you care? God, I'm serving you. God, I'm trying to be faithful. God, why? Why would you let this happen? A man's tendency has always been to question whether God cares or not. I'll say it again. I would imagine it's got to be some of the most painful words that has ever entered God's ears. Teacher, do you not care? Peter, he writes his first epistle, and he writes to the churches there that um, some of you are familiar with. Is uh, you would have a man named Nero who was uh, in charge, and Christians there were facing severe persecution. Just things that you can't even mention. Things that believers had to endure. And I would imagine, I would imagine that they're sitting there saying, Lord, we've trusted in you. We are trying to give you our lives. And yet here we are watching our children be martyred, our wives be martyred, our our husbands. um, And perhaps uh, 
they were thinking that because what does Peter say, right? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Listen, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. I don't know if you've ever looked at that phrase before. But uh, when, when Peter says, for he cares for you, it actually means this. To God, it matters concerning you. Or, for you are his concern. Cast all your cares upon him, for you are his concern. To him, it matters concerning you. It was interesting, I just learned this, that uh, George Mueller, many of you are familiar with George Mueller. George Mueller had a great ministry with orphanage. Uh, brought in hundreds of orphans. And George Mueller never got paid for that. Right? George Mueller was a, a man who trusted completely and completely on God to provide to, to uh, these children, provide food and nourishment and care and, and things like that. A tremendous man of faith. Right? Well, he actually uh, had this motto on his desk for many years, and it read this, it matters to him about you. It matters to God about you. God cares for you. (laughs) To God, it matters concerning you. You matter to God. I think that's one of the great lies that the enemy tries to put into our minds in those storms of our life is that, listen, God doesn't care about you. Right? That you don't matter to God. But you do. Right? You matter a great deal. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 13, we read, it says, The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. Right? We know the contrast there is there's a shepherd there too, right? The shepherd, he doesn't flee. Right? The shepherd cares for the sheep. He loves the sheep. The psalmist, he one day, right, he, he was looking up into the sky in uh, Psalm chapter 8, and he says, man, when I consider your heavens, right, when I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, right, um, what is man that you are mindful of him? He says, what is the son of man that thou does care for him. Even before the redemption of Jesus Christ, even before Jesus came to this earth, right, and died for man's sins, the psalmist there recognized, man, just by looking at the works of God, looking at what he did in creation, said, man, God cares for me. (laughs) And that blew his mind that God would care for him. You remember Job and he faced some storms. Job, in the middle of his storm, right? This isn't even after when God had restored some of those things back to him. In the middle of this storm of life he was in, he says, What is man that you should set your heart on him? He recognized that God had set his heart on him. No matter what trials, no matter what storms he was going through. In fact, in Job chapter 10, verse 12, he says this. 
You have granted me life and favor. And your care has preserved my spirit. Like I said, some of us have experienced death of a loved one. Some of us are experiencing sickness that we have not been free from. Job, as he's going through this, his children were gone. Right? His children had died. He was experiencing boils on his body and things like that. But he could recognize that God still, though, through his care, had preserved his spirit. And brothers and sisters, we put so much focus on our bodies, don't we? On this flesh. And it makes sense, right? We're sensual beings, right? Everything we experience has to be what we smell and touch and see, right? But it's the spirit that's important. And Job recognized that even in the storm of his life, he knew that God was caring and preserving his spirit. And so, <clears throat> in Mark chapter 4 again, the question is, who can this be? Right? What sort of man is this? And I think we have one of the answers here, based on the disciples' uh, question here, is that God cares. <laughs> Jesus cares. What sort of man is this? This is a man who cares for people. What's the application? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, you remember Paul gives a great description of the church. And one of the illustrations he uses there is that of a body, right? That those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you become members of this body, right? Your physical body has all kinds of members. You have fingers and toes and nose and ears and, and things like that. And, and Paul tries to bring out the illustration there that, hey, listen, all of us are a part of this body, but we all might be different members. We might all have different parts, right? We have a different role to play, uh, that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. But he goes on a little later there in that same chapter there, in verse 25, he says this, he says, there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And the word care there, actually, in the Greek, it's actually translated anxious care. Might be one of the few times where we're allowed to be anxious. <laughs> right? God said, listen, I want you to be really worried about each other. I want you to have anxious care for each other. As members of this body, I don't want division amongst you. But instead, I want you to be caring for one another. I mean, we know, right? We know that Jesus cares. But sometimes, sometimes it's amazing is God uses the members of his body to remind us of that, doesn't he? I don't know about you, but again, as I was giving you some of those examples where you feel like, man, God just it doesn't give you a break. Sometimes you just want to break, right? Say, listen, God, I, I understand that we're called to suffer. I understand that you know, we consider it joy when we face those diverse trials and things like that. But can you give me just a little moment to breathe? Give me a break. I know my own life, I've, I've gone through those seasons where, where I feel like, man, this is hard. <laughs> this is hard. I don't know if I want to keep going. Like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Um, and it'll be that moment. It'll be that moment where God sent me a card 
from a brother or sister. They had no idea what I was going through. No clue. But that card said exactly what I needed to hear. That God cared for me. That God knew I was going through a hard time. Right? And God can use us to remind each other that Jesus does care. <laughs> Even when you're going through a storm where you're like, man, God, do you not care? Do you not care? He can use each and every one of us. And however way that is, right? We can all think of times, examples where just at the right moment, God used someone to remind us again. That's right. God loves me. That he has not forsaken me. That Jesus cares for me. And so when we consider uh, our Savior, we consider um, his care for us. It should cause us to remember that we are all members of His body. Right? And we have the tremendous blessing, the tremendous privilege of showing anxious care for one another. Right? Are we concerned for one another? Do we have care for one another? Who can this be? This is a man who cares but not only that, here uh, they use the word teacher uh, when they address him. It's interesting, in uh, Luke chapter 8, in this account, they actually address him as master, master. They say, we are perishing. <laughs> That's Luke's account. Master, master, we are perishing. Uh, the word master here, it actually comes from a word that means an appointed um, overseer. Right? Someone who is a, a, an appointee over. Right? In other words, an example would be a commander. Commander. Right? And in Matthew, um, it's interesting, they say, this is uh, Matthew's account, Lord, save us. <laughs> Lord, save us. And there the word Lord they use is a very interesting word. It comes from the word meaning supreme in authority. An example would be a controller. Right? They're literally saying, one who controls or controller, save us. By implication, it means master as a respectful title. But someone who is supreme authority, someone who is a controller, right? Not in the negative sense, that was someone who is a control freak, but we're talking about someone who is in control. I thought how interesting that is, that they would address him as that, and yet ask, do you not care? Um, So with that in mind, I just want to ask us a few questions based on this account. When we consider, again, the storms in our own life, and we look at this account here, and these, these disciples are going through a storm. I have just four questions. First question is this. Who's in control of the ship? Who's in control of the ship? It's interesting that, right? Where is the steering usually on the ship? It's in the bow, right? Right? Yes, it is, Elaine. Okay. You got the rudder. I mean, the stern. I'm sorry, the stern. Thank you. You got the rudder back there, right? The steering wheel's back there. And where is Jesus sleeping? He's in the stern. Right? He's in the stern. But he's sleeping, right? Is Jesus in control of the ship? 
He's got it on autopilot. Right? Why do I think that? Well, one of the things that's interesting here, too, is that what does he tell them? He says, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus has the amazing ability as God that when he says things, that's what happens. <laughs> right? Let us cross over to the other side. Jesus has got this boat in autopilot, even though he's sleeping right, in the stern of the ship. I want to encourage you this morning is that um, there are some things that, you know, people are always saying that they pray for. Um, just as an example, and I'm not saying it's not wrong to pray for these things. I pray for my kids every day. But let's say we say, oh, look, you know, there are people who say, oh, uh, John, will you pray um, that, that God would help me find someone that I could marry someday? Most likely I'd be like, listen, I'll... I'll probably pray for that, but you don't need me to pray for that. You can do that on your own. You can go out and find someone and get married. One of the things that I've always been challenged with with Dwight Knight is that, listen, God deals and works in the realms of impossibilities. So many times we pray for things that are possible. We don't pray for things that are impossible. God loves to show off. God does. He loves it. And he wants us to pray for things that are completely beyond us. Right? He wants us to know that, listen, I'm in control here. And so a lot of times we can show who's in control of our ship based on our prayer life. Right? Don't don't go just to God with the things that are possible. Right? Certainly bring those to God. Right? He cares for us. He wants us to bring everything for him. But... I would encourage us to increase our prayer life. That we would bring more things to God that are impossible. You know, Richie was talking about, again, those that we know that we're like, there's no way they could get saved. I'm telling you right now, there are people in this assembly that I know personally that I had that exact same thought. And here they are today, saved and actively involved in praying for Bible chapel. But there was a time where I said, God, there ain't no way. (laughs) It's impossible. There's no way. Right? Who's in control of your ship? Okay? Who's in control of your ship? And the second thing is, who's in control of the storm? Who's in control of the storm here? Right? And, and that is beyond your control, right? This storm is beyond the disciples' control at this point. These storms that perhaps you've experienced, that you thought of this morning, they're usually beyond your control. You you can't do anything about it. Who's in control of that storm? I I heard someone say once in regards to this story, he says, I'm not afraid of the storm on the lake. He goes, you know why? He goes, I have a lifeguard who can walk on water. Who is in control of your storm? Do you feel sometimes that when you're experiencing that storm that somehow God had took a nap? Or God for a second maybe took his eyes off you and all of a sudden, oh, this happened. And God's like, oh, let me try to fix that for you. 
God's in control of your storm. Have you put yourself in control of someone who is never surprised, right? And is in control of everything? You have to understand, whatever storm it is that you're going through or that you will go through, right? God's in control of that. But you've got to put yourself in His control. Know that this isn't a surprise to Him. This isn't catch Him unaware. The third thing here is who is in control of the sea? Who's in control of the sea? You see, the sea is the proof of how bad things are. Right? It's your present tense reality. Right? It's what we really are afraid of. It's the sea. Right? The the sea now is starting to fill the boat. (laughs) Right? It's the sea that will ultimately cause these men to perish. Not necessarily the storm. But it's that sea. It's your present tense reality. It's that which you are afraid of. Right? It's that which reminds you of how bad things really are. Who's in control of that? It's interesting that these men were afraid of the sea. Right? Jesus stood and what? Just rebuked it. (laughs) He just said, peace, be still. And there was a great calm over the sea. A great calm. We know in another account, just a couple of chapters later, right? We might look at this next week. Is Jesus is walking on those waves. All those, that sea that they're afraid of, right? Their present tense reality, it's under Jesus' feet. <laughs> all those things that we're afraid of, all those things that we fear, right? They're right under our Savior's feet. Who's in control of your sea. So he said, what sort of man is this? Right? What sort of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Well, we already learned that Jesus is someone who cares. We also learn here that Jesus is in control of everything. God is in control. I don't think we could ever hear that enough, right? We have to be reminded all the time that Jesus is in control of your ship. He's in control of your storm. He's in control of the sea. But as far as the application goes, we have one more question. Look at the verse 40 here of Mark chapter 4. Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Mark here is a little harsher. In the other two accounts, they say, Oh, you have little faith. (laughs) Here, Mark here is Jesus saying, Hey, why do you have no faith? My last question is this. Who's in control of the saint? You see, God leaves that up to you. You know God. You have 66 books that prove his faithfulness to you. 
I probably right now, if I called on people, each and every one of you could testify to God working in your life. Some miraculous intervention, some powerful uh, thing that God has done in each one of our lives that we could say, yes, God was faithful. Yes, God answered this prayer. Yes, God did this, right? And as, if, as if God's asking us this morning, why are you still afraid? <laughs> why are you so fearful then? He said, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm in the ship with you. The storm, the sea, that's nothing. Peace be still. You happy now? Come on. Why are you still afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Who's in control of the saint? God leaves it up to you. Hebrews tells us this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. I recently was um, studying and looking at uh, just a couple chapters before this, the story of the paralytic. And uh, we know the story of the paralytic. Uh, He's in a, a, um, a hopeless condition. Right? A hopeless condition pretty much is just a condition that you can't get yourself out of. Right? That's what makes it hopeless. And the same with these disciples. They're at a point now where it's a hopeless condition. Right? They can't think of anything else other than wake up Jesus and ask him why he doesn't care that they're going to perish. Um, but the interesting thing about this story with the paralytic is we all know they, they, they come, there's people all around the house. They can't even get into the house. There's so many people. So these guys, <laughs> they cared for him. It's a tremendous illustration of what we already talked about. These were men who cared about the condition of their friend. And they were not going to quit for nothing. They weren't going to. In fact, they decided, okay, we're going to climb to the top of the roof. We're going to cut a hole in the roof. And we're going to lower our friend down to Jesus. We will fight for him. Because we care for him. And here's the great thing about this story, which I absolutely love. You remember Jesus looks at the paralytic and says, "Um, Son, your sins are forgiven. But do you know what it says right before that? It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. Brothers and sisters, listen. There are storms in our lives. And Jesus is in control of those storms. Um, But in those storms, Jesus is watching your faith. He's looking. He wants to see faith that's not just mere words. He's not concerned with Christians saying, I believe, I have faith. Right? He is looking for faith in action. He wants to see faith working. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's watching. He's looking. He sees these men. They were fighting for their friend. And he would come to Jesus. And Jesus is looking for that kind of faith. That's not just mere words, but faith in action. Someone wants to find faith like this, and I like it. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. 
faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Okay? So another way to say is this. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it is not so. <laughs> right? Whatever storms that you're going through in your life, right? faith says, hey, I'm still going to act as if God is telling the truth, even though right now it doesn't seem like it. Even though right now it seems like God doesn't care, it seems as if God has uh, forsaken me, I'm going to still have faith, I'm going to act as if everything is just so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. That's faith. That's faith. We act like it's so. Even when it's not. <laughs> Even when it's not. In order that it might be so, simply because God said so. That's faith. Acting like God is telling the truth. What sort of man is this? <laughs> Jesus is someone who cares deeply for you. He cares for me. And he's in control of everything. He's in control of everything. So we can have faith. We trust Him even in the storms of our lives. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Son, the Lord Jesus. Certainly there was no other man that ever walked this earth that was like Him. We're thankful um, that we can have a relationship with you through your Son. Help each and every one of us here, whatever storms they, we may be going through, whatever storms may arise in the future, um, help us to remember two important truths, that you never stop caring for us and that you are in control of the storm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.